0: Let's come. <clears throat> Here we go. Can we just stand up? Let everybody see you first of all. Because it's quite important that you understand which one's which. <laughs> so you have to work, doesn't it? So just just not, Tabo doesn't have any children that we're aware of, so remember Dad So you don't need, you can, you're all right, isn't it? And new dad, Donald, uh, as well. And Granddad, Kev, you are going to get this kind of go that. If, if I go like that, that's like you've got two minutes left. If I do that, that means 10 minutes is done. That doesn't mean you're doing well, carry on. <laughs> just just so you know, all right, just to kind of do that is because we all want to hear everything that you've got to say. And we fought, right? We get Donald to lead out as the, the dad forwards. Is that right, Donald? Say, so, come on, here's the mic. Have you not brought your notes, or are you just going from the back? Oh, okay, fantastic. Take a seat.
1: I find, I find that interesting because I thought Thabo would go fast and then I come next. <laughs> anyway, it's nice and I think it's humbling for me to be in front of you today just to share a bit of my story as a dad. And I hope you can all hear me. Can you all hear me? Yes. So, because I'm fast, uh, I have a couple of slides. So We're going to leave it there for now. And as you all know, I'm, a t- I'm becoming a teacher now. I'm a teacher in training, and I know you're a good audience. I'm not going to be using any rules, countdowns, three to one, or anything like that. I know you're a good, responsive crowd, and I hope you can all hear me. So when I was told to come and share with you today, because my background is engineering, so I was like, what am I going to talk to them about, yeah? Because I'm a bit out of my comfort zone. I was talk to you about an engineering problem that would come naturally to me, but I find this a bit more personal. And it's given me a bit of time to reflect, yeah. And I thought, no, let's leave it back. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to leave it there for a second. And what I thought of doing is, I want you you to give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Who understands what that means? Give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Okay. Okay, I can see a lot of thumbs up and a couple of thumbs downs. So baba is a Swahili word. And Baba just means father of, yeah? So that means father of Ethan. That's what it means, yeah? Father of Ethan. So if we were back in Kenya, you'd not naturally refer to me as Donald because I've now been elevated to father of Ethan. So you'd naturally be calling me Baba Ethan. That's what it would be, yeah? So that's that's a huge responsibility and it made me just reflect on my dad. As I was growing up, you know, all the sacrifices that dad has made over the years, and now it's like that's been passed down to me looking after Ethan. And what a big responsibility that is. And in an African setting, uh it's it's like you're you're elevated to another level. Yeah, you're no longer the single person you are, but you're a father not only to Ethan, but a father in the community as well. Yeah, So it's kind of a big status if we think about it that way. So the thing is, when Ethan arrived, part of me was silently coming to terms with that new status. And there was a lot of Baba Ethan going around. Yeah? All the messages I received from back in Kenya were related to Baba Ethan, you know, and just in a moment of reflection, you know, just trying to absorb it all, you know. You're now a dad, you know. It's it's a huge responsibility. And what I'd like to do is just to share with you some photos. I know you might not have, many of you might not have seen these photos before. We'll just go through them and just have a moment of just looking at them and just reflecting on them. And that one there. Thank you. So it's nice to share... It's nice to share with you those four photos. And every time I look at them, trust me, I go all emotional. And I'm sure most of us have never seen them before. Now those, those are the first four photos. The first four are the photos that were taken in the hospital when we were there with Ethan. And the final two photos were taken when we finally managed to bring him home. So if we go back one slide. Those are the photos that were taken when we now brought him home, yeah? Well settled at home, and I'm getting used to feeding him and all that. And this may sound strange to a lot of you, but before Ethan, I had never held a baby in my arms. I had never held a baby, yeah? Not even my nephews or nieces. I have many of them. And I was literally afraid of babies, yeah? That's how I was, yeah? So I would, I would, I would, I would, keep, I would keep my distance, you know? Like, I would be looking, but... To have them in my arms, no, it was a (laughs) no-no. But when Ethan arrived, interestingly enough, I felt that instant attraction to him. And there was this need of protection. Because when he was born, he had a weak cry. I was in the the ward at the time, uh, in the theater. And when he arrived, he had a weak cry. And, you know, as a dad, you're there. You know, you're helpless. So you're looking at him and he has this weak cry because you expect them to. Make a loud wail or something like that, yeah. But his was a weak cry. It was almost like he was struggling, and that's because his oxygen levels. He had ingested some things in the womb, and his oxygen levels were about 85, 86 percent. But the doctors wanted it at about 92 percent. So then there was a lot of activity. Okay, the doctors were calm about it, and that reassured me. You know, so you're in that in that moment. You're just thinking, you know. God, what's happening here? You know, I've never been through this journey before. What's happening, you know? But then I have a peace in me because I'm seeing all these doctors, you know, they're all composed. Nobody's panicking. It's like they've seen it before. So straight away for me, it's like just rolling on with them, yeah? So we left mom and took Ethan to the baby where, where they took him next. And he had all these tubes fitted into him to try and just help him breathe, get his oxygen levels back to normal. And he spent a day there. He was given antibiotics as well. So I've not shown a photo of him as he was after he was born because I find it a bit, some people may find it a bit too graphic. But he had all these tubes in him, you know. And he's a little guy, you know, doesn't have proper veins or so, you know. So how the doctors were managing to do all that, I don't have a clue. But somehow God was working through them in the moment. And after a day and a half of monitoring, he was ready to be transferred to the ward to join Nelly. And my major challenge then was how do I lift him up? You can see. You can see I'm trying. I'm trying, but I'm not finding the right way to do it. And on there, he's just been handed to me, you know, so that he's lying on that pillow so that I can gently cuddle him there. So those were my first moments with him, you know, and you're looking at him and you're like, wow, you know, he's finally arrived, here. Yeah? And it's been a lot of encouragement from Nelly, as well as my mother-in-law, just helping me to be confident with the lifting him up. And as a dad now, I can assure you that I can lift any baby now. Um, I'm that confident. And as a father, and as many fathers would attest to this, we feel our responsibilities suddenly hit the roof, you know, when these little ones arrive, yeah? Yeah. And we're trying to make sure that they're well looked after, attending to their every need. And the moments when I've had to change 15 nappies on a Saturday, because Saturday is my day with him, have to wash him and all that, you know. But it's that care, you know. It's that love for him and just support for him, wanting him to be comfortable. And Nelly comes home and she finds me slumped on the couch, like, (laughs) I've had a long day, you know, and it's like, can you take over now, please? (laughs) But then I have to appreciate that Nelly's from work as well, yeah. So, and as he grows older, I'm finding that there are more things to think about, yeah. And the things to think about, if we move on to the next slide, the things to think about in terms of guidance, discipline, you know, any other additional provisions that we might provide, yeah. For example, in this phase that we are in now, you can see how much we're dealing with tantrums. We're in the tantrum stage, and <laughs> you're trying to think of, you know, what's the best thing I can do for him in this moment, yeah? And I do get slapped every so often, by the way, by him. And I'm not sure where he learned the slapping from. But he's <laughs> but he's very efficient with his timing. So I might be carrying him and something upset him and off his hand goes, yeah? And I think he probably takes it from dad, yeah? Because my reaction times are very good. So I'm seeing a kind of an image of me in him. And as I look at my relationship with Ethan... How much he looks up to me, I can read into his eyes, you know, almost saying, Dad, am I doing the right thing? You know, he's little, but he always has that look like, Dad, am I doing the right thing here? And when I look at my relationship with him, I try and mirror that with my relationship with God as well. That's why I've put them side by side, yeah? just to help us have a bit of reflection. Because yeah? I believe he was brought into our lives to try and teach us how we can relate to God as well. And it's amazing, you know, how much trust he puts in me and mom and everybody who works with him, and how much we should also think about God in the same kind of light, yeah. So I believe he's been brought into our lives to help change us in a special way, and I look forward to, like, every day when I come home, and little guy, I've had a long day in school, taught maybe four or five periods, and there he runs, To me, as soon as the door opens, it's there running, coming into my arms, and it's almost like, Dad, welcome home. You know, I've missed you the whole day. So it's really amazing, yeah. And I always think of doing the same with God, yeah. So he's really taught me a lot, especially the fruits of the Spirit, to be patient and all that. And God is faithful, yeah. In all this journey, we are just seeing God's hand at work in our lives, yeah. And to the amazing dads in Riverside as well, you know, you're good role models to me because I speak with a lot of you. And we don't discount the moms as well, yeah? It's important to bring the moms on board, yeah? Because we are all there playing a big role. And I thought just to finish off, uh, just for us to just say those two verses. I have two verses here today. And just for us to just speak them aloud. So we, off we go. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And finally, Psalm 127, 3 to 5. Children are a heritage from God. Offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Yeah, so that's a brief thing about from myself. I could have gone on and on, but it's just nice to share with you that bit here. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Donald, for sharing
0: um, and kind of just giving us an insight into your personal life. And it's just really clear to see, isn't it, that when we're trying to understand God, how much we understand the context from family. And God has created a family so that we might see him in the relationships that he's already established. It's a real miracle. So well done. Kevin, granddad. You don't look old enough to be a granddad, if we're really honest. I'm afraid (laughs) it's true. (laughs) Jeanette really doesn't look old enough to be a grandma, but, you know.
2: There you go. That's the creep of the day. (laughs) Okay, by way of introduction, I've got a few photographs of my grandson. If we can just keep scrolling through those, that's great. There he is. You can just about see half his mum there. Yeah, that was, uh, that's his mum when... She was about the same age. And that's his dad, our son-in-law. Now, you might notice that actually he's half Japanese. Uh, They live in Japan, and we try and go to see them every now and then. Um, But when Luca was born, after he was born, he was uh, quite typically, uh, didn't have the typical Japanese hair. So that's one thing that is really, really different about him. Cover his hair, he looks Japanese. But Ochan was a bit worried because he would look quite different. Ochan's a son-in-law. And he he expressed this worry to me about Luca might get bullied in school because his hair is different and he looks typically different. And um, I thought about that for a moment. And I said to him, but if you give him security, if you know, let him know that he is loved and wanted, doesn't matter what goes on around him, he is going to have that security. And we, as parents, as fathers, grandparents, and grandfathers, that's the legacy that we can pass on. But that's human. That's what we should be doing naturally. The special legacy we can pass on is that of knowing God and knowing that our true security is in knowing God in our relationship relationship with God. Because God says in 1 John 12, sorry, John 1, verse 12, but to as many as did receive and welcome him, this is from the amplified version, by the way, Why use one word when six will do? (laughs) But to as many as did receive and welcome him, believed, he gave the authority, the power, the privilege, and the right to become children of God. That's where... The Amplified Version is great. It gives so much more understanding, authority, power, privilege, and right to become a child of God. All we've got to do is believe. Now, just to prove I am a granddad, only the older people will recognize this. I want to tell you a story. And if you're all sitting comfortably, then I will begin. The very old ones will remember that. This is a story (laughs) about the Wemmicks. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. These little wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. Eli's workshop sat on a hill overlooking the Wemmick village. Every one of the Wemmicks was different. Some had big noses. Others had large eyes, some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and all lived in the same village. All day long, every day, the Wemmicks Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of dull gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets, all over the village, people people could be seen sticking gold stars or grey dots onto each other. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got shiny stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint was chipped, the Wemmicks gave dull dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing very pretty songs. Everyone gave them shiny stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good that they did something else and got another star. There were many other Wemmicks, though, that could do very little. They got dull grey dots. There was one Wemmick, and his name was Punchinello. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather round and give him dull grey dots. Sometimes when he fell, it would scar his wood. So the people would give him more grey dots. He would try to explain why he fell, and in doing so would say something really silly. Then the Wemmicks would give him some more dots. After a while, Punchinello had so many dots, he didn't want to go outside He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water. And then people would give him even more grey dots. In fact, he had so many grey dots that some people would just come up and give him one without any reason. He deserves lots of dots, they would say. The wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person, they would say. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. The few times he went outside and hung around with other Wemmicks who had a lot of grey dots, at least he felt better around them. One day Punchinello met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever met before. She had no dull grey dots, did not have any shiny gold stars either. She was a wooden Wemmick and her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try and give her any stickers, just that the stickers didn't stick to her. Some admired Lucia for not having dots, so they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Some would look down on her for not having stars, so they would give her a dot, but that didn't stick either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello, I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go and see Eli. Punchinello asked, Eli? Who is Eli? She replied, why, Eli? He's the wood carver. I sit in his workshop and spend time with him. He asked Lucia, Why do you do that? Lucia told him, Why don't you find out for yourself? Go up the hill and visit with him. He's there. And with that, the sweet Wemmick named Lucia turned and skipped away. But he won't want to see me, Punchinello cried out to her. Lucia didn't hear him as she was too far away. So Punchinello went home, he sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around giving each other gold stars and grey dots. It's just not right, he muttered to himself. Then he resolved to go and see Eli after all. When Gianella walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big woodcarver's shop, his little wooden eyes widened at the sight of everything. The stool was as tall as he was, He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard and thought to himself, I'm not staying here. He turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punchinello, said the voice, deep and strong. Just then Punchinello stopped. The voice said, Punchinello. Punchinello. How good it is for you to come. Let me have a look at you. Punchinello slowly turned round and looked at the large bearded craftsman and said, Sir, you know my name. Of course I do. I made you, Eli said. All of a sudden, Eli stopped down, stooped down, and picked the little Punchinello up and set him on the workbench. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he inspected the grey circles all over him. Looks like you've been given some bad marks, Punchinello. Oh, Eli, I didn't mean to. Really, I didn't. I tried hard not to. But the maker said, Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, my child. I don't care what other Wemmicks think. Punchinello asked, Really? You don't? Then Eli said, no, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They are Wemmicks just like you. What they think really doesn't matter at all, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Oh, me? Special? How can I be special? I can't walk fast, I can't jump, my paint is peeling. I make silly mistakes all the time and I'm not a beautiful Wemmick like some of the others. How could I matter? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those little wooden shoulders of his and spoke very slowly. Because Punchinello, you are mine. That's why you matter to me. Poncinello had never had anyone look at him like this before or say anything so nice, so much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Poncinello, every day I've been waiting and hoping you would come to see me, Eli explained. Poncinello looked up at him and said, I came. Because I met a girl who had no marks. Eli said, "I know. Lucia told me about you." So Punchinella asked, "Why don't those stickers stay on Lucia?" Eli said, "Because she has decided that only what I think is more important than what anything anyone else thinks. The stickers only stick if you let them." Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, even as in his love he chose us, actually picked us out for himself as his own in Christ before the foundation of the world.
0: Can I honour you if you're a grandparent? Um, and don't ever give up the gift of storytelling to your grandchildren. So, um, Rachel's mum, and the kids will know this, you know, when she was alive, would, whenever they went around to see her and they took to her in, they would always um, sit and tell stories. You know, stories are a way, and stories always ended up telling them about Jesus. How she got from Mickey Monkey to Jesus, I do not know. <laughs> Good godly woman, you know. And just don't ever let those moments go because it's part of what God is doing in families. Last but not least, he is a son of the house. Dad is incredibly proud of him. He's got two great sons, by the way. Uh, we never want to pitch them against each other unless I'm winding them up. Uh, one's better than basketball. But uh, we just thought we'd come and get Tabu up to share uh, what God wants to do as a son. Come on, Tabu. <laughs>
3: so I am Tabo I'm the oldest son of Agnes and Moses Yonder if you don't know me and yeah um, my brother is the better basketball player <laughs> so yeah I'm just gonna share a few things um, growing up as a son with a father in my life who's loved and cared for us so um first thing of having a father in my life um, that I have, had is mentorship um one thing is fathers have were once our age my dad always says i was once your age i know totally what you're going through and he always used that phrase i was once your age it's hard to believe but yeah (laughs) and um i think one thing that's really important in mentorship is uh they give us free lessons of life that no one will ever give you that's one thing that has really um, impacted me. Um, with mentorship, they will they will discipline you as well. Discipline is not always like you're not always going to agree with them. That's the nature of a son, but it's you're not. It's it's part of their nurturing and growing you. And one thing is that um, often as children we're like oh I'm given this, but for me discipline was given with love. Discipline and love are two things that have always gone together. It's never been, I'm disciplining you because you're bad and you're such a bad son, baby. No, this is the right way to do it. So I'm disciplining you, but I'm doing it out of a place of love. Just like it says um, in, in in Proverbs thirteen twenty four when it says, let me just quickly get it up. Whoever spares the rod hates a child, but whoever loves their child is careful to discipline them. So, The Bible clearly indicates it that discipline is not something out of hatred, but it's always done in a place of love. And that discipline has always been in a redirecting way towards God. It's never been, this is wrong, and yeah, you do it this way, but it's always been pointing me like, yeah, this is what God's word says. This is is why I'm telling you these things, because they're not purely based on what I think is the best way, but this is what God has told me, and this is what the word of God says. Uh, second thing is security um uh, this obviously my dad has always been there to provide for me he's given me physical security housing whatever but uh, another very i think crucial part of growing up is that sense of emotional security as well uh validation um as a, as a child when you grow up and you're young i remember the times when um my dad would play football uh, in the garden with me, uh, me and Simba. And then, you know, you just, you have little to no coordination as a kid, but, you know, you kick the ball poorly as it is, but your dad's like, well done, come on, keep on going again. And that always, there's, there's something special about getting validated or hearing, well done, son, from your dad. I, I, I don't know if that's just for me. Um, and another thing with emotional security is that um, they, they, uh, my dad and father's love us unconditionally, in the sense that as we grow up, obviously we grow with certain gifts, certain talents, and they've always been validated in us. And, and another thing is they they loved us not our expectations or our promise as children. So my dad has always been a, a person who's obviously uh, seen us as children grow up, and we've grown with our particular gifts, he would always validate those gifts, you'd say, Yeah, keep on going, son. But often at times when we don't meet our marks, often we were the hardest ones on, on ourselves. It would never be like, oh no, I, I can't I'm dreading what Dad would say. It would just be, Oh, I can't believe I did this. But that's the selfless love. Um he 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 loved us not based on what we could achieve or the promise we we had as kids or the expectations he had for us, but he loved us and served us towards what God's plan and purpose was for us. Um, the final thing I want to share is about inheritance um that fathers give. This isn't just purely based on uh money or physical things, but I think a major thing um his story itself is 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 wealth it's wealth in experience and its wealth in godly wisdom. And I think that's been one thing that has helped me as I've grown up, um, being told stories, being told what the Word of God says, so that when I got to an, a time when I was old enough, I was able to, having heard this and having been fed this in my life, I was able to make the decision for myself and follow Jesus. And yeah, so, yeah, thank you for my dad and thank you for all he's uh, he's done. And yeah, ultimately, the biggest and transforming part of my life was that he just pointed me to God. He never made the decision, but he pointed me to God, and, and that was something that's really radically transformed my life. So thank you very much.
0: I've learned so much today. And it's one of the thing, great things of um, being part of a faith community. Um, we all have stories, and we all learn to listen to one another's stories and how their stories affect our stories, and we realize we're really connected. Let me read you a, a scripture, if I can. Oh, no. You know you got your verse out. Uh, Who's really good at the Abba Father scripture? Romans 8. I don't want to read the whole thing in front of you. It says, by his spirit, we are able to identify Abba Father. And one thing I know in growing up um, in church and having parents who love God, they didn't say I had to have a faith because they had a faith. They just demonstrated their love for God, and, and I discovered God in their lives and in the environments I found, and I realised that God was so so good. And the moment that slot into place is when I prayed a prayer, and I said, God, I want you to be my Father. I want to have that relationship with you, Because right? nobody can make that for you. It Doesn't matter how you've been brought up. Doesn't matter what your family has done, not done, taught you, not taught you, showed you, not showed you, but. Something really powerful when you stand before God and say, God, you are my eternal heavenly father that spoke me into being, and I'm just discovering that. The moment you say, Would you come into my life? is the moment the Bible describes this thing called born again. Right? You can't physically be born again. You know, nobody wants to go through that again, do they? But spiritually, what being born again is, where God births spiritual life inside of you. Number one, you know God, you know his love, you know his power, you start to discover his plans. You start to see those plans in other people. You know how you connect that with other people and suddenly the whole universe falls into place and it makes sense and you can stand before the whole of creation and say, I was made for this. I have a destiny I have found it. I didn't find it in myself. I didn't find it in just my family. I found it in God. Every morning I get up, I am a son of the living God. You know what? And you might not have that same revelation. You might be thinking, is that true for me? It just takes one prayer for you to say yes to your Lord, Heavenly Father. I'm just going to do that right now. Just close your eyes, everybody. There's people all over these places who have already said that prayer, and you know the reality of it. Some people said that prayer years ago, and have kind of walked away, and it's not been so relevant, and you just feel this invitation from God. Do you want to say that again? Some of you are looking at the grey stickers all over you, thinking, I you don't know, and I just don't think I'm worthy to that. Well, God in the story is the woodcarver. He says, All that matters is that you know what I think about you. When Jesus was baptized, God the Father spoke over him and said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. I want to tell you right now, whoever you are, wherever you're from, that God speaks over you, over everybody in this place. You are my Son in whom I'm well pleased God loves you the only invitation today is you say I receive your love So between you and God if you want to receive God just say God I receive you I acknowledge you as my loving heavenly father forgive me for straying off the path for walking away from you and being distant from your love I run to you right now Fill me with your love, your life, your energy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just quietly before we sing our last song, while everybody's praying, uh, I just want to give this moment. If you said that prayer, and all, all I want you to do is just acknowledge, Aaron, I'm just one of those people who just came back to God or invited God into my life. While everybody else is praying, they've got their head in. This It's not about them. Just put your hand up right